Well, in addition to coaching pastors, we have the privilege, my wife and me, of sitting under our son's ministry, our son and daughter-in-law, Mark and Michelle. He is the lead pastor, and we are the pastors of leadership development of Dothan First Assembly of God, or Dothan First is called. But one interesting thing about hearing our son preach week after week when we're home, he stands up in that pulpit week after week and confesses sins that he did that we didn't know anything about until he got in that pulpit and told us about it. Take note, Chase. Take note. I think he thinks he's safe from recrimination behind that pulpit, you know. But uh, there's something that I marvel at as I hear my son preach. And so I'll tell you a little story of, of our history together. Mark ran from the very idea of being in the ministry. I mean, he, he didn't want anything to do with it. And I don't know whether it was youthful independence. He's always been a very independent kid. We have two children, one just very different than his sister, right? You look at Tammy and just look at her the wrong way. If she did something wrong, she'd break out in tears. For Mark, you'd have to use a two-by-four to get the same response. You, you understand what I'm saying, which I didn't, by the way. But, but whether it's not wanting to be in anybody's shadow or whatever it was, but despite his efforts to escape the call of God, I knew that God had his son, or God, God had my son in his heart. I knew he had his hand on Mark. Well, we used to do devotions together as a family when Mark was a kid. And so when Mark was about 10, uh, he said he wanted to do devotions that day. I said, well, that's wonderful. And then I watched with interest what happened next. We lived in a tri-level home. You know what a tri-level home is, okay? And so the family room was about five steps down from the dining area. And there was a banister that overlooked the family room. We usually did devotions down the family room. So when it was time for the devotions, Mark, interesting what's going on here. I'm watching with interest. He ascends the steps up into the dining area and overlooks the banister overlooking the family room. He's 10, he's 10 years old. And I'm thinking, okay, is this going to be a dear old dad roast, you know, or, or is it anything you can do, I can do better? What, what, what is it going to be, right? What's going to happen? And it wasn't any of that. Uh, he stood there and he preached a message that evening and there was a sense of God's, it was simple, but there was a sense of God's anointing on him. And he wouldn't have admitted it back then, but I believe it was an impulse of the Holy Spirit that he did not fully comprehend at that time. And we sat there in amazement, not just because he did a great job that evening, but because it was what he said he would never do. And he's 10 years old, but he's doing it. There he is. Now, I ask this question, how does a 10-year-old boy deliver a message and without understanding it, function in the anointing of the Holy Spirit? And I'll answer that question in the next few minutes. Are you ready for the word this morning? All right, as I prayed over this message, I was so impressed by the Holy Spirit 
And uh, that he especially wanted every young person to hear this message in this room. We're so glad you guys are sitting right there behind me this morning. I just really felt that impulse of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, it's a message for all of us. God wants to minister to every person in a very special way, especially at the end of this service. But I hope every millennial, Gen Z, young person, teenager, 20-somethings especially, will hear not just what I have to say, but what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you this morning. This isn't about some old guy and his opportunity to get them young people straightened out. I promise you, that's not where I'm headed with this. Not at all. It is about the power of the Holy Spirit to shape young lives and empower those lives to do what God has called them to do. And I'm calling the message this morning, the great equalizer. Say that phrase with me, the great equalizer. Turn with me in your Bible, please, or your Bible app to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. The Apostle Luke is presumed to have written this book, and we often call it the Acts of the Apostles, but it could more appropriately even be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, because that's exactly what Jesus promised in this verse that we're about to read, that the Holy Spirit would function in power through the lives of people, would be, that people would be fully equipped with every tool in the toolbox that God has given. Because guess what? We're going to need every tool in that box. So good news is that the Holy Spirit was sent by planet, by, uh, to planet Earth by God to equip you and empower you for the mission that God has called you to. And so I call the Holy Spirit the great equalizer. Say that title again, the great equalizer. Would you stand in honor of God's word this morning with me as we read this promise? Here, Jesus, now the resurrected Christ, he is poised, ready to ascend into the heavens. He has shown himself alive for 40 days to over 500 people. And now he's giving them his last mandate. He reminds them that John baptized them in water for repentance, but that they soon would be baptized in the Holy Spirit in a few days if they would just wait in Jerusalem until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they're wondering, well, is he about to, to restore Israel's sovereignty and overthrow Rome? I mean, they still don't get it. They got stuck on this one all the way through Jesus' three and a half years of ministry. They kept going back to this. And one last time, he has to correct their misunderstanding of power. And so he says in verse 7, It is not for you to know periods of time or appointed times which the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, there will come a day when earthly kingdoms will all come under the power of of Jesus Christ. But then he reminds them and he makes this profound statement in verse 8 that will shift the tide of the human experience with God forever. He says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you 
and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, as far as the remotest parts of the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to counter the resistance to the gospel. Spirit of the living God, loose your power and your promise over this house. Today, in Jesus' name we pray it. And everyone said, amen. As you're being seated, turn to somebody, smile at them and say, the great equalizer's in the house. How many of you have ever been in a place where you felt totally inadequate to the task before you, right? You felt like you were overwhelmed, uh, over your head, felt like you were smothered, whatever it is. Would you raise your hand up all over, the, all over the room? You felt that way. Now, keep them up for just a second. I want every young person in this room to look around because you will see people of every age with their hand up high saying, yes, I have felt that overwhelming feeling at times. Thank you. Put your hands down. Paul said to young Timothy, do not despise your youth. And that became very, those words became very precious to me because that admonition uh, became very personal in my life. And I want to go back in time, a long ways in time, in God's shaping of my life. When I was 17 years old, the Sunday school superintendent of Brightmore Tabernacle, the church that I grew up in, came into my high school class and asked me to step out. And I thought, dear God, what have I done? Sunday school superintendent's in here asking me to step out. So I did. I stepped out. She said, Wayne, I want you to be the, the Sunday school teacher of a class of boys Preschool boys, I guess the former teachers had left with tears, said they need a man image. They need a male image in this class. And she put this Sunday school lesson in my hand, what we call back then a quarterly. I, know, I think we still have these today probably. But I was shocked. I was overwhelmed. And, but trying to live up to her expectation, I went into this class. There they are a bunch of squirming four-year-old boys. And I sat down and I tried to put my long legs underneath that little squatty table. Well, when I did, the table ended up on my legs, basically balancing on my legs and moving around. And so they're all giggling. They thought that was pretty funny, you know. Well, then I started the lesson about God the Father. Within a second or two, after saying that, trying to talk to them about God the Father, Walter Vasey slugged Ben Lampy right in the chops. And now he's just bawling over there, and so I'm trying to deal with that. And while I'm doing that, Jeff Malagin is crawling underneath the table. I think he was trying to figure out why the table's moving up and down. And then David Kidd's trying to get control of him, and so they're tussling back and forth. And within minutes of my great leadership, that class was in total chaos. Do you understand what I'm telling you? I, am, I was over my head. 
And there were things happening in that classroom, listen now, and in the hearts and the spirits of those boys that I had no comprehension of. I did not understand their history, nor could I comprehend the invisible forces that were working in their lives. That class was out of my control in moments, and I didn't get it back that day. So that experience put me on my face before God. That afternoon, I wanted to quit. I actually tried to get the phone number of the Sunday school superintendent, couldn't find it. But I'd been praying about the call of God. And here was my first congregation, a classroom of five or six little boys, one with a severe learning disability. And I said, God, I cannot do this. I cannot do this without you. Have you ever been in that place? Come on. Where you said, God, I cannot do this without you. I need your help. How many know the place I'm talking about? I've been there many times, many times. And there as a 17-year-old boy trying to be a Sunday school teacher to some troubled boys, I was in that place. Now, I had experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit as a young teenager, and, but I didn't understand the gifts of the Spirit. I sure didn't understand the, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. But the Holy Spirit is the great equalizer. That Sunday afternoon, God spoke to me, not in an audible voice, but just as clearly as I'm talking to you today. And he said, I want you to go to the homes of every one of those boys, and I will show you things that you do not know. And I'll not take the time to take you through the whole journey to walk you through that. But there were things that I did not understand until I walked into those homes and the Holy Spirit just pointed certain things out. I didn't know, for example, that Walter Vasey, who slugged Ben Lampy in the nose or in the mouth, I didn't know that he was basically acting out what his father did every Friday night after spending his paycheck and coming in in a drunken rage and beating up his mother. I didn't know that. I didn't know that Jeff's parents, Jeff Melagin's parents, had been pressured again and again to institutionalize their son and take him out of the home. I didn't know that. But the great equalizer knew all about that and more. He knew that one day Walter would give his heart to the Lord and start becoming a little soul winner. Three years later, he brought the most kids to Sunday school. And years after that, he brought his father to church who gave his heart to the Lord. And his mother became a staff member on the church staff. Little Jeff got some special help and some extra love and attention. And for years afterward, he would see me in the hallway of the church and just run and throw himself into my arms. They said he wouldn't make it, but he did. Because the Holy Spirit is the great equalizer. Ben, the kid that Walter slugged in the mouth, who knew he would become a pastor? Lord was just training him for other kind of things he was going to have to take later on. <laughs> I couldn't have known any of that, but the Holy Spirit, the great equalizer, knew it. He makes you equal to the assignment that God has given you. In fact, 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in the world than he that is in you 
than he that is in the world. And so how does the Holy Spirit work when the odds are against us, when we feel inadequate to the task? Well, the Holy Spirit shows us in the book of Acts, the next chapter, in fact, Acts chapter 2, exactly what the Holy Spirit does and how he does it. Acts chapter 2, you turn with me to Acts 2. We're going to read a very familiar passage of Scripture. Your pastor has probably preached on this many times. But I want to look at this passage from a unique perspective of how the Holy Spirit is going to help these early Christians fulfill a mission that is totally over their heads. I mean, here they are. Think about this. Here they are, a bunch of new believers, right? They're still trying to get their heads around the resurrection. And now Jesus has ascended into the clouds, leaving them there on earth with a mission that they could not accomplish. I mean, it's Mission Impossible, Acts chapter 2. First episode of Mission Impossible. Look at what we learn about the Holy Spirit from the very beginning of his introduction in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were just sitting. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves, and a tongue rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. The day of Pentecost is one of the most important events in the Bible. It serves as a foundation for the very movement that bears its name, right? I mean, whatever the church was, uh, you know, you can talk about whatever the particular, whether Methodist, Baptist, or Episcopalian, or whichever one of those doctrines that might be emphasized. The one thing we know about the early New Testament church, they were all Pentecostals. It was a Pentecostal church. And so the movement today is 500 million, they estimate, around the world of those who would believe and and embrace the idea that the Holy Spirit is contemporary, the gifts are for today, that idea. That the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was not just a one-time event for 33 AD, but God intended to empower us with the Holy Spirit today. Well, the book of Acts describes the day of Pentecost as this moment in time, it would change the future eternally. Profound moment to be remembered because it doesn't just tell us how the Holy Spirit empowered them, it tells us how the Holy Spirit wants to empower us. And so it is inscribed on the pages of the scripture. And when the Holy Spirit descended upon the 120, now listen, the 120, not just the 12, the 120, all 120 who were patient enough to wait for Jesus to fill them for 10 days, all 120 were baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. Filled them all, not just the 12, but all 120. Ignited fire in all 120. And to do miracles and signs and wonders and all of the things that Jesus had promised in Mark chapter 16. Now the Holy Spirit has come to do that. This wasn't just reserved for the elite, for some guy who had been 10 years of rabbinical school and had gotten his PhD in the the University of Gamaliel or something. No, no. 
The Bible says they were all filled. Everybody say all. All of them were filled. If you're part of the all, say an amen. And so what do we learn from the way God introduces the Holy Spirit, the great equalizer? And I want to give you five points very quickly, if I can get to all five. Number one, the first thing is the Holy Spirit is for every believer. For every believer. It is the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus gave to all of them. And so verse 4 says they were all filled. You know, I hear something interesting about Acts chapters 1 and 2 is that there were 500 who heard the words of Jesus and had given the, the command. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told his disciples he would descend, the Holy Spirit would descend upon them if they would just wait in the upper room. And in the fullness of time when the day of Pentecost came, that promise was fulfilled just exactly as Jesus said, just exactly as 900 years before that, Joel had prophesied it would happen and that it would be on sons and daughters and rich and poor and men and women. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was for every believer. So where were the 360? Do the math, right? 120 in the upper room, 500 heard the word. Where were the 360? I won't take time to speculate about it, but let me say something about the contemporary relevance of the Holy Spirit. I know there are a few denominations that still say, not many really, that Pentecost was just a, a, a place card or a benchmark in time. And after that, the gifts died with the apostles, right? What you cannot debate about the early church, whatever doctrinal position might be emphasized, is that that early church embraced that concept of the Holy Spirit for everyone. The empowerment of the Spirit was not reserved for a few people with a title or a TV program. Pentecost was for every believer. Say that with me. Pentecost was for every believer. So if you're here this morning, you're hearing this on a recorded version of this uh, online, the message, please hear this word, if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we know he is, then so is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is still alive and well this morning. He is still speaking words of wisdom. He's still speaking words of knowledge. He is still healing people. The Holy Spirit did not get laryngitis after the canonization of the scriptures. And now he can no longer talk. The confused world of many voices, we need the voice of the Holy Spirit to clarify what God is trying to say to us. And another thing, the Holy Spirit did not give up his right to heal the sick or to do miracles. Can we all agree we need the power of the Holy Spirit today as much as those who 120 that were first in that first upper room? We need that power today. Every single one of those first believers are going to be under tremendous pressure against a resistance against the gospel that they've been mandated to preach. Every one of them. And there was this tremendous harvest. 3,000 people came to Jesus Christ. And every one of them now are going to face a world of unbelievers. Every one of them. Well, guess what? We too face a world of unbelief and cynicism. And just like they needed the power of the Holy Spirit to push back the persecution, the resistance, 
Likewise, we need that same power today. They needed the great equalizer. So the second one, what else do we see? Secondly, it was not only for every believer, it was for every tribe, every race, and every nation. There were no racial barriers with the Holy Spirit. There was no racism in the upper room. The Holy Spirit was meant to be the greatest unifying force on planet Earth. It was no accident that these people were gathered from all of these other nations, all of them with their different dialects and their different languages. And as the Holy Spirit descended upon them, all of them, now they're beginning to hear their language. And it's two miracles, really, that takes place. Understand, this is more than just speaking in tongues. There's two miracles that take place. One is that they were speaking in languages they did not know, the languages of men that they did not know. The second miracle is that they could understand when 120 people are all speaking at the same time. That's a miracle. If all of you were talking at the same time I'm talking this morning, guess what? You would not hear what I'm having to say. So the Holy Spirit ferreted that out and shared with them the message from God that came from within that, that room of praising, worshiping people. So it's a miracle that they could hear it. But the miraculous language, I'm going to tell you, it's not even the greatest thing. It's not even the greatest thing. Think of this now. The great equalizer is also the great unifier. He brought 120 people together on the day of Pentecost. It probably took 10 days for them to come into that, that unity. It probably took them 10 days to get some of the problems out of the way between each other. It probably took them 10 days for them to quit arguing with one another about what's next and who's going to lead it. But the Holy Spirit is the great unifier, the unity, and out of that comes this diversity, every tribe, every race, every nation. There's a special reason for all those languages that day. The multitudes had gathered and God wanted each one of those, those cultures to experience the presence of God. It says, from every nation under heaven, verse 5, they had come for the feast of Passover from every nation under heaven. I would think some in the upper room may have spoken in heavenly languages, perhaps. Maybe there were 120 different languages. Maybe the heavenly languages that Paul speaks of in chapter 13, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians where he says the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. Maybe so. But what we see is a picture of a diverse body of Christ where people with different cultures, different backgrounds, different races, people that don't look or, or sound like you can all be united under the banner of the Holy Spirit at one time. Come on, somebody get, get happy about that because don't you know we need that today? The Holy Spirit doesn't, listen, doesn't want to just flow into us. The Holy Spirit wants to flow out from us. Jesus said in John 7, 38, out of, out of you shall flow rivers of living water. Salvation is when the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. Think of the baptism, water baptism experience, all right? Salvation is when the Holy Spirit draws us to Jesus, right? convicts us, and then baptizes us into the body of Christ, into Christ, okay? Now, Jesus takes the place of the Holy Spirit 
And when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit now baptizes you. Or I mean, sorry, Jesus now baptizes you into the Holy Spirit, the overflow of the Holy Spirit. He says you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, they didn't fully understand all of that then. And uh, let, let me tell you how this works, okay? I'm going back in my, my early years. I'm doing it especially because I want young people to hear this. I think I was baptized in the Holy Spirit with another friend of mine. I think I was 13. He was 14. We were baptized in the Holy Spirit. When we came out of the prayer room, having just been baptized in the Holy Spirit, Henry Linderman, my friend, says, Wayne, come with me. I want to show you something. We're just, just coming out of the experience of the power of God, hands having been laid on us and so forth. He said, I want to show you something. He took me over to the wall of our church where there was a big, giant missions map. He points to Paris, and he says, that's where I'm going. God is calling me to Paris. Already that fire of God was burning inside of him, reaching out every tribe, every race, every nation, reaching out to Paris. He has now been there for over 50 years as a missionary in Paris, France. All right, number three, the Holy Spirit gave power to the church. God never intended that churches should die of malaise. God intended that the church would be alive, made up of living stones, made up of people whose hearts were on fire for God. The purpose of the Holy Spirit filling every individual believer was so that the church corporately could be filled. As a church filled with the Holy Spirit. Someone once said, when the church is on fire, the whole city will come out to see it burn. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost, right? It was like the burning bush all over again. Remember that story? Moses is attracted to the fire, and then from that, out of that, comes the voice of God that sends him on a mission to deliver his people. The church aflame is to draw people to hear the gospel. The church was empowered with supernatural boldness, the Bible says. Supernatural boldness to preach the gospel. God's intent was to use that power to win the world and to do it together because guess what? We're a lot better together than we are as a solo act. Pentecost was about empowering the church. Acts 4.31 says they were all filled with supernatural boldness to preach the gospel. And as a result of that, thousands were saved. By the time you get to chapter 4, of Acts, there's now 8,000 people numbered. Eight, at least eight. Maybe it's double that because it probably was families. But stop and think about this. Stop and think about this. Who gives the first altar call on the balcony of the upper room? Come on, who is it? What? Peter, you say? Peter, who was a failure? Peter, who denied the Lord? Peter, who questioned whether he could ever be restored again? You're telling me that he got up and he preached the first message? He was the one to lead the, the charge that day? Yes, absolutely. I don't know how to explain how God's grace is so great that he would choose deliberately Peter or that God's grace is so great that he would deliberately choose Paul. 
who had tried to destroy every Christian on the face of the earth. The grace of God is so great that he chooses Paul to write uh, two-thirds of your New Testament, who was Saul of Tarsus, breathing out threats and cruelty. God shows he gets him saved and chooses him. Don't you know if God can choose Paul and Peter, he can choose you? Do you understand what I'm saying? There's nothing, it's, it's unbelievable what happened. I think about that day, 3,000 people responding to Peter's altar call that day. All different cultures, people with different languages. The Libyans, and I, I read, the, if you read it, verses 9 through 11, different backgrounds, different cultures, Jews and Arabs with their olive complexion. Libyans and Cretans with their dark skin. Asians with their lily white uh, complexion, probably. Fifteen cultures are represented, by the way, as you read it. And they speak with different languages and different accents, 3,000 of them and their diversity. They're all convicted of sin. They're all repenting and they're redeemed by the same Holy Spirit that was on the 120 in the upper room. The same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus when he did miracles, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It was a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing to compare with the sovereign move of the Holy Spirit. The word sovereign means exclusive, exclusive under the control of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean out of control, but under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's something unique like what happened at Asbury in Kentucky. It's something unique, like what happened in Grand Rapids in our church, as your pastor told you about a revival that went on for four years. Or not too long ago, the college that now meets in the church that we once pastored. Those kids, they just went into the prayer room. They wanted to stay. They stayed for days. And the story is told that there were miracles that took place and healings that took place. I don't fully understand the where, when, how, and why of a sovereign move of God but I know it happens. It happened in Grand Rapids when we were there and we experienced those four powerful years. You say, well, let's make it happen here. Did I mention that it's a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit? Did I mention to you that it is exclusive to the control of the Holy Spirit? We don't manufacture a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit, but how many would say even so, come Lord Jesus? How many want to see a sovereign move of God in Covington right here in this church and in this community? Uh, what else do we learn? I've got to wrap this up. What else do we learn about the Holy Spirit that day? Fourth, the Holy Spirit is for every generation. Peter makes it clear, Acts 2.39 that it is for you, for your children, for their children, and as many as are afar off, as many as the Lord our God would call. Pastor Chase, I love to hear stories about young people on fire for God. I love to hear stories after camp, youth camp many times, right? That things happened and kids are called into ministry or baptized in the Holy Spirit. I love to hear what God is doing happening around the world. I recently got a, a video from a friend who they gave an altar call. This is tremendous. I wanted you to see it. But it's happening all the This video is an altar call in Nicaragua where thousands of young people, thousands were literally running to the stage 
to get saved, and most of them afterwards were baptized in the Holy Spirit, Pastor. See, see, here's the thing. We sometimes think of the apostles as these old guys with their old, long, white beards, right? Through the, as we look at them through the biblical pages of, of, of stained glass biblical history. The truth is, we know that some of them were very young. Mark was probably still a teenager. The rest of them were probably 20-somethings. Yes, we know some of them were married and had a family and maybe were older. John wrote the book of Revelation when he was 90, but he was 30 when he was following Jesus. James and John, sons of thunder, right? Simon the zealot. I mean, these were young guys, energetic, sometimes hot-headed, and every one of them with their imperfections and their limitations. But the Holy Spirit is the great equalizer. Here's my point. God uses the young and the old. Joel's promise when Peter quotes it in Acts chapter 2 was that the Holy Spirit would empower the young and the old. The Spirit of God doesn't put a statute of limitations on either end of the lifetime spectrum. He chose Mary when she was a young virgin, probably mid-teens. And yet he chose Moses when he was 80. He chose Noah when he was 120. Kathy, we still got a shot at this thing. Doesn't matter whether you're young or old or somewhere in between, the Holy Spirit wants to use you to empower you to set your heart on fire. Can I get a witness this morning? The message was to every generation, as many as the Lord would call, and the Holy Spirit fell on every generation that stood outside the upper room. There is not a generation that cannot be called to shake the nations of this world, to carry out Jesus' commission, to make disciples. You know, the average age of our missionaries, Pastor, uh, that are called now to full-time, not just a missions trip, but full-time ministry on the mission field is 27 years old, 20s, mid-20s. It was an elderly missionary who years ago by the name of Gladys Pearson, who was used of the Holy Spirit to pry Kathy and I out of our comfort zone as the youth pastors where we were in a great church to get us out of our youth pastor nest in Detroit and send us, send us on our journey, a journey that has lasted for the rest of our lifetime. And I tell you, every generation needs its own Pentecost. Every generation. And the equalizer, the great equalizer, bridges that gap between ages. And the last one is this, and I wrap this up just briefly. The Holy Spirit is for every lost soul. Kate, if you would come, please. Jesus made it clear in his last words before ascending to heaven. Acts 1-7, go to Jerusalem, wait until you're endued with power from the Holy Spirit. But that was not the end of the message. They were not instructed to sit at the curb with their motor idling. He says, didn't end with the wait command. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Both in Jerusalem and Judea, the remotest Samaria, the remotest parts of the earth, 
The Holy Spirit is the source of the power and effectiveness of our witness. Without the Holy Spirit, our efforts to share the gospel will be fruitless. Probably one of the reasons why it's intimidating to witness to people. And the more important they are in our life, the more we tend to be intimidated by it. The more we want their approval, the harder it is to witness to them. But let me say it again. The Holy Spirit is the great equalizer. Say, well, I've never witnessed anybody, Pastor. Listen, the Holy Spirit's the great equalizer. You say, but Pastor, the culture is so anti-Christ, but the Holy Spirit is the great equalizer. You say, but we're living in the last days. That's why we need the great equalizer. But I'm just not a bold person. That's why God gave you the great equalizer. I've never prayed for anybody for healing. Thank God the great equalizer is here to do it. And I'm telling you that he is here to share today the power that was in that upper room with you and make you equal to the task that God has called you to, whatever that is. Our 10-year-old son who preached from the banister of our upper room, <laughs> the dining area, is now the pastor today in Dothan First. And we get to listen to him preach. He's a great speaker, not because he's a great speaker. He's a great speaker because the Holy Spirit has made him that. I will never forget the day that Mark called us from Southeastern University. And he did not go there to be a preacher, I can tell you that. But when he called us that morning after the chapel service and he could not speak for weeping, he just couldn't hardly talk to us. I knew it wasn't tears of sadness. It was the brokenness. It was the brokenness of a young man who had met the Spirit of God in the most private room of his heart. And any vestige of resistance to ministry was met by the great equalizer. And he and Michelle are pastoring today by the one who said, I will make you equal to any task to which I call you. I tell you the great equalizer is here this morning and there is not an assignment from God that he cannot make you rise up to. Let's pray.